My brothers and sisters, in today's gospel, we hear about the end of the world, the end of the world, and it's the end of the liturgical calendar, and right around this time, we hear about the end of the world in our gospel readings. And at the same time, though, Jesus' discussion and discourse about the end of the world is connected directly with the destruction or the end of the Jewish temple. Okay, so the end of the temple, the end of the world. Very interesting. Why the connection? Why the connection? Jesus is predicting the destruction of the temple, which took place in 70 AD. But at that time, the world didn't come to an end. Still here with us. Why the connection? End of the world, end of the temple. My brothers and sisters, it's because for the Jewish people, the, t- the end of the temple was, as it were, the end of their worlds. The temple was absolutely central to who they were as God's people. Absolutely central to who they were as a people called into communion with God. It was the place of meeting between God and human beings. And for it to be removed, it was like the destruction of the universe. It was like the end of the world. Judaism is a religion that is based fundamentally on temple worship, which has as its heart sacrifice. It's the heart of temple worship is sacrifice. It's absolutely essential to what Judaism is. And so for the past 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years since the destruction of the Jewish temple, Judaism has existed in a kind of a twilight zone. It's really not itself. Its heart is hollowed, has been hollowed out. And the Jewish people very much, and the more religious they are, the more they feel that absence, something essential to who they are as God's people. And especially because the temple was not something they concocted. It wasn't something that they just sort of imagined and they thought it would be a good idea, so they decided to build it. Okay, it didn't come from the ground up. It came from the top down. It came from heaven. It was built at the direction of God through his prophets. So it was the worship that God himself had established and ordained in the world. And uh, the Jewish people had a special connection and role with God's plan for the world. So its loss was just incalculable tragedy for them. To this day, that loss is felt. So, for example, hundreds of years after the destruction of the temple, a practice came about amongst some of the Jewish people who were very, very religious. What they started to do is they actually, because they felt so deeply the loss of sacrifice, they actually would have this practice right on Yom Kippur, which is their... Uh, it's the most important holiday of the year for them. It's the Day of Atonement for them. And so they would take a chicken. They do this to this day. You can go to Brooklyn and see the ultra-Orthodox Jews do this. Or you go to Jerusalem, okay, and they do this. They take a chicken and they they uh, wheel it around their head three times. They say these prayers. This is my atonement. The death of this chicken will be the forgiveness of my sins. So I don't know exactly the prayers, but to that effect. And then they have a ritual slaughter of the chicken afterwards. Okay, now that is something that they thought of themselves. <laughs> All right, That didn't come from God. That's not a, a worship that was 
fr- uh, revealed to them or sent to them from heaven. But it's because they feel so deeply that absence of God-ordained sacrificial worship that they have made this kind of substitute of this, this chicken. All right? And uh, also, another very interesting thing, uh, to, the, to this day, there is a group of Jewish people who are very religious, very zealous uh, in Israel, and they have put a lot of money together, and they have reconstructed all of the, or at least a good proportion of the different implements that are believed to be necessary for the worship of God if the temple were to be rebuilt. You see, so they're getting ready for the building of the, of the rebuilding of the temple. That's what they want. They even have a cornerstone. It's a six-ton cornerstone that they've got, and it's ready, and it's on the back of a truck. And they've done it a number of times. Back in 2015, I know they did it. They drive right up to the temple mounts. Okay. Now, of course, what's on the temple mount to this day, it's the Islamic structure of worship called the Dome of the Rock. Okay, so you can imagine the kind of religious tension and conflict that that might cause. Okay, so they drive the truck right up to the temple mount as if to say, we're going to rebuild the temple. Okay, and of course, the Israeli soldiers are, they know they're waiting there with their machine guns and they're saying, don't go any further because we don't want to start World War III. But this whole longing and desire to find the replacement and to rebuild what's absent, okay, the temple, especially with its blood sacrifices. It's a very great tragedy. It was lost for them. My brothers and sisters, God does not take away anything without giving us something better. Ultimately, we read about the destruction of the temple and the, and the end of the world here in Jesus' discourse in chapter 21 of Luke. We turn the page to chapter 22, and we have the Last Supper. The Last Supper is the first Mass. It wasn't an end. It was a whole new beginning, a whole new world of God's grace and communion was established. What the temple and the sacrifices of the Old Testament pointed towards was ultimately the holy Eucharistic sacrifice, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So wonderful, so awesome to understand the great privilege, but also challenge that we have as Catholic Christians. That all of salvation history and something as cataclysmic and something as tragic and huge and history making as the destruction of the Jewish temple was all ordered towards the establishment of the Mass. And so here we are, a little country church doing this little ritual, but it has cosmic significance so far beyond what our senses can understand what our imagination can perceive, even what our conception really can have any idea about. It's so cosmic in significance. And uh, the other important element, probably two more important elements, is first of all, we understand that human religion from the beginning of humanity has always involved sacrifice, has always involved sacrifice, okay? Sacrifice is essential to human religion. So whether that religion is a pagan religion or whether that religion has been revealed by God, it's always involved sacrifice. So what a huge change 
when here we have Judaism having uh, experiencing this end to its sacrifices, and then hundreds of years later, the Islamic religion comes into existence. That's a religion purely of the word. There's no sacrifice. So you got Judaism, which today is just a religion of the word, no sacrifice. Islam, a religion of the word, no sacrifice. Christianity is the true heir of the sacrificial system that God really wanted human beings to have in the world. And its primary expression and ultimate, final expression is the Eucharist. What an awesome challenge that is. And unfortunately, um, 500 years ago, our, our separated brothers and sisters in the Protestant communities, they explicitly denied that the Eucharist was a sacrifice. And thereby, they brought an end to sacrifice. And so also, just like Judaism and Islam, Protestantism is a religion purely of the words. There is not the sacrifice. that They don't have that. Now, it might sound like I'm picking on our Jewish brothers and sisters or our, our Christian brothers and sisters from different traditions, uh, but it's not. We know that God, as Catholics, we believe God gives actual grace to all people, and he deals with them according to their own conscience okay, and where they're at. All right, So he leads them toward himself, towards himself uh, in his own ways that are very mysterious. But for us as Catholics, this is not a triumphalism or something. It's not a boasting, but what it is, it's a challenge to be appreciative of how much of an amazing responsibility that we have to carry on the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So it doesn't matter if my homily is good or bad. All right, I try to give you a good homily. But, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you feel like garbage. Okay? doesn't matter if you feel anything doesn't matter if you believe it. There's a reality that not any human being is concocted or created or made up. It's Jesus Christ himself who is here, mystically present in our midst. He is the true priest here. Okay, So he is also the true sacrifice. It's not like, you know, we try the best that we can to give a good homily, to make wonderful music as we do. All right? Uh, and all of the different human efforts and organizations that go into the Mass. But ultimately, it's not our worship. It's Jesus' own worship. What an awesome, awesome privilege that is. And uh, you all participate in Jesus' perfect sacrificial worship of the Father as baptized members of his mystical body. I, as an ordained minister, participate in that priesthood and in that sacrifice in my own respective manner. But together, as the body of Christ, both clergy and laity, we come together and we have the privilege of entering into something that's completely cosmic, that all history has been ordained towards the establishment of. How wonderful is that? So, my brothers and sisters, the appropriate response is gratitude and also faith. So important. The Mass is not bells and whistles. Okay? It's, it's a mystery and it's apprehended only by faith. So as much as we can, okay, we dispose ourselves through prayer and through an active conscious, what the Second Vatican Council calls an active conscious participation. And what that means is just simply mental, interior preparation, appreciation, true faith, understanding what we're about here. Okay, that's what the Second Vatican Council is calling for with that famous phrase, active conscious participation. 
and thereby we become conduits for the power of Calvary, for the power of the sacrifice of the cross of Jesus Christ being actualized in the here and the now for our benefit, for the benefit of the whole world. Whether people believe in the Mass or not, it's benefiting them. Okay, And it's our offering of that sacrifice that is effectual for the peace, for the salvation, for God's unfolding of his economy of grace throughout the whole world. It's happening when we gather together for the Mass. What an awesome privilege. My brothers and sisters, I'm a coward and I'm a sinner, but I pray that God would give me the courage to defend the sanctity and uphold the truth of the Mass with my very life's blood. It's something worth dying for because Jesus died for us to give us the Mass. He died to give us the Mass. And so I pray I would be able to have the courage to die for it because he had the courage to die for it. What a great responsibility. So today, my brothers and sisters, as we come to the end of our liturgical year, we got last, you know, we're, we're quickly here on Christ the Kings next Sunday. We're wrapping up the liturgical year. We're coming to its end. We reflect on the end of the temple and what that means in history. And we are grateful to God that it was the beginning of the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And we Accept that challenge of carrying it forward into the future uh, by God's grace.